Welcome to the Outward OPC podcast. Outward OPC is a work of the Committee on Home Missions, and its goal is to encourage zeal for reaching the lost and to be a tool for the OPC and other Reformed churches to be more effective at reaching people outside the church. You can check out the website at outwardopc.com. Now let's get to today's episode. Brad Herzog here with Outward OPC, and today I have Chris Hartshorn with me. Chris is the church planter and pastor of Anaheim Hills Presbyterian Church in Anaheim Hills, California, about 45 minutes southeast of L.A. Uh, Chris, we're glad you would take some time to talk to us. Uh, Maybe just get us started. Tell us a little bit about the Hartshorn family, kids, how old, maybe they'll end up listening to this. You can give them a little shout out. Yeah. And uh, just let us know what the Hartshorn household is up to uh, these days. Yeah, my wife Megan uh, is homeschooling our four children, which is a, a great challenge and a great blessing. Our our oldest child is Josiah; he's ten. Uh, we have twin girls, Tristan and Taylor, that are eight, and then our youngest is Luke, and he's five. And what is the what's the Hartshorn household up to? What do you like to do? What do you do when when Dad's got some uh, part of a day off? Uh, what do you guys like to do? We're big into sports. That's kind of the way we do things. And uh, soccer right now, soccer season's going on for all four kids. And our oldest son, Josiah, is also playing uh, on two baseball teams. And so we are uh, every Saturday very busy. And then through the week, uh, Monday through Friday, we're out in the community uh, with other families and uh, practicing and, and playing games and doing various things. So tell us a little bit about Anaheim Hills, the church. Uh, how, how old is it? How long have you been there? A little bit about the congregation. Just give us a, a little bit of a feel. Most of us probably haven't visited there. Yeah, we started a Bible study. I was in seminary back in 2011, and we started a Bible study. It was my desire to plant a church in my hometown. And we were in Escondido at Westminster Seminary, California. It was about an hour and a half drive. And we started a Bible study with uh, a couple of people that we knew that hadn't been in a church and didn't have church experience and uh, grabbed them and some other folks and started getting into the Word and and starting to teach them about some of the Reformed distinctives. And uh, the Bible study grew over time. And we were focusing on right after graduation beginning uh, Sunday morning worship and we actually started Sunday morning worship about three months before I graduated uh, from seminary and I was installed the day after I graduated in June of 2014 and so we've been worshiping for what a little over uh, maybe three and a half years now. Okay so tell us a little bit about um, Anaheim Hills as I said in the intro about 45 minutes southeast of LA what's it like is it neighborhood feel or people commuting into the city you know what what do you guys see uh, I assume maybe you live in Anaheim Hills or close by mm-hmm. uh, give us a little sketch of of the community that you're trying to reach yeah Anaheim Hills is is part of the city of Anaheim but it's it's a finger that reaches out to the east and butts up against uh, Riverside County and the, there's a kind of a gap 15 20 minute gap between Anaheim Hills and the next town, which is Corona, on the 91 freeway there. And so we live uh, on the other side of the freeway, other side of the 91, but still in Anaheim Hills, in the flat part of Anaheim Hills. And uh, it's connected to Yorba Linda, which is the other city that's butting up against the edge of Orange County there. And we're really trying to reach both of those communities uh, together. 
and it's a, it's a very affluent neck of the woods, uh, a lot of very wealthy people. I see a, a Tesla driving down the street. Uh, basically, uh, it seems like half the cars are Teslas. I mean, people are do, do very well in that, in that neck of the woods and, and mostly college-educated uh, people uh, raising their children to be college-educated people. And uh, so it's, it's very much, uh, the people are very similar in uh, their lifestyles and the way that they're living in Anaheim Hills and Yorba Linda. So I know a little bit about your background, but maybe you could uh, talk a little bit about your church planting experience. I know you were on both coasts, you were in the heartland, you kind of seen city and uh, non-city. Tell us a little bit about your experience, and then I know you've got a theological journey in there as well. Can, mm-hmm. you, give us, can you give us a little sketch of, of what brings you to where we are today? Yeah, I came to faith at the age of 20. I was a, uh, a lost soul. Uh, had had been worshiping the god of basketball and was really making that my all and and uh, had hopes of playing in college and then perhaps overseas and blew out my knee and that dream was dashed that hope was dashed and uh, as I hit rock bottom and and as spiraled out of control I, I found a gospel tract and cried out to God and uh, and came to faith and 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 after a little bit of a journey found my way into Calvary Chapel Calvary Chapel Costa Mesa with Chuck Smith and and really learned so much, uh, was so blessed to be in the Word five, six days a week there, nightly Bible studies, Sunday morning, Sunday night, and learning from some great Bible teachers, and was eventually ordained by Chuck Smith and Calvary Chapel Costa Mesa, and, and sent out as a church planner to New York City in East Harlem, and spent uh, four and a half years there, sent out by myself uh, in 2003, and uh, had no team, was just doing evangelism and, and reaching out to people, occasional teams coming in uh, to help out from California, but was on my own and was daily seeking to share the gospel with the people of uh, East Harlem and uh, eventually got a Bible study going and that Bible study became a little church plant and, and we were doing ministry in a storefront there on 2nd Avenue and 117th Street and my wife Megan eventually, we knew each other from California, she came along we were married there, actually had our first child. He was born in Brooklyn. After four and a half years of being there and, and starting a family together, felt like it was time to move on and handed off that work and, and moved on to start another work from scratch in Lawrence, Kansas, which is where the University of Kansas is, a, a beautiful little city uh, in northeast Kansas, and did three and a half years of ministry there and got a little church plant up and going there as well. Learned so much about uh, ministry, learned so much about the gospel and, and reaching people with the gospel and church and, and bringing people together in a church. And that was a great experience us, for us as well. So so much different than New York. Uh, can't be much different from going to, from California to New York City, Manhattan, and then uh, really slowing things down, moving to the Midwest in Lawrence, Kansas. But we were also on a journey theologically because when I came to faith early on in my early 20s, I shared an office with a guy who was Reformed, and actually he took me to a R.C. Sproul conference in Phoenix. And so I was never really opposed to Reformed theology. I never really uh, disliked it and uh, always was reading different Reformed authors. Actually, as I preached, I, I seemed to find myself gravitating more and more towards Reformed commentators and theologians because they seemed to be so much richer in their understanding of the scriptures and of theology. As I preached through Romans 9 in New York City, 
I became uh, thoroughly convinced of the doctrines of grace. And uh, when we moved to Lawrence, Kansas, I had some free time and really started to study Reformed theology in, in all of its fullness and its richness and became Reformed in, in Kansas and, and came to the place where we said, my wife and I together, we need to leave Calvary Chapel. We need to go to seminary and uh, study the languages and study Reformed theology uh, and, and seek to be, if, if the Lord wills, a minister in uh, Reformed context. So as I listen to your story, I'm, I'm going to play the role of uh, maybe a listener, uh, maybe people in Reformed churches. I could see uh, some people hearing your story and thinking that uh, maybe you've sort of left that Calvary Chapel days behind and made your way into a Reformed church in the Reformed world and you know, now you're doing something totally different. Could you talk a little bit about maybe what you learned in your Calvary Chapel days? You mentioned that, you know, you were kind of thrown into the deep end, reaching people. You were on your own. You didn't have a team. Uh, no doubt you learned some things that uh, not only were helpful, but maybe you've brought forward in terms of how you think about outreach in an OPC, confessional reformed church in Anaheim Hills, mm -hmm. and how you personally and your family approach it, and maybe even how you you know, how you help the congregation think about it. Yeah, I, I learned so much in Calvary Chapel, and I'm so very thankful for the journey that I was on, the Lord had me on for those years in Calvary Chapel, and it's it's really helpful for me to do ministry today, and I think really helpful for our congregation. Um, I, think, I think in thinking about what the church is made up of, are, are we just Reformed people, that are finding a reformed church uh, and there's a new one in Anaheim Hills or are we seeking to reach the lost that have no understanding of what a reformed church is what reformed theology is and we're reaching them because we're preaching the gospel because we're sharing the good news we're building relationships and then we're sharing the greatest news this world will ever hear that, that Christ died for sinners and so it's shaped everything in the way that we do ministry and hopefully it shapes the way that we, uh, in our congregation, from the oldest to the youngest, think about living life. I think uh, we're, we're, we're looking for relationships. We're looking to talk to people and, and, and invest in people and love people. And I think the ultimate way we can love people is to, yes, do acts of service, do good deeds, but also to, to tell them the good news that's essential for them to hear and understand and believe and respond to. And so we go about our lives in, in playing sports and being in the community, and we're always looking for and praying for opportunities to talk to people and invite people and to share our faith with people. We teach our kids to do that. Uh, we ask our kids about you know who they're talking to and what they're talking about and encouraging them along those lines. And we're doing the same thing in our in our church in in the sermons we that I preach and in the Sunday schools that we teach, we're, we're constantly going through uh, evangelism and outreach in our Sunday school class every year or two. We're, we're talking that, about that afresh and anew. And we're dialoguing in our Sunday school hour about how that's going for us and the fears that we have and the struggles that we have in reaching out to those around us. And so it's just constantly before us uh, in our family and in our church, reaching out to those that aren't already in the church. I have a, an interesting, um, I have a friend of mine who uh, poses an interesting question to me regularly, which will be relevant to you, and I, I'd love to hear your thoughts on it. He uh, is a faithful guy in a Reformed church, and he's asked me a number of times, 
why do the Calvary chapels of the world convert people and then we reform them? And I, that has been a, a prod in my side when I went to seminary and was pastoring. I, I hear his voice a lot. And I hear his voice right now asking that question again now that he has a, a former Calvary Chapel pastor. Uh, not picking on anybody uh, either way, one way or another, but it, it does seem like there's some truth in that question. Do you have any thoughts on that? And do you have any thoughts on why that seemingly may be true or really is true? Yeah, we've had that conversation in, in our church and in our Sunday school classes too. We've had that uh a number of times and I think one of the ways that Calvary Chapel is effective and has been effective is that there aren't a lot of barriers to bringing people into the church in other words that there aren't a lot of prerequisites or, or hoops to jump through in order to come just just come come as you are you want to wear shoes uh, no shoes whatever you want to you want to get dressed up you want to get dressed down shorts and t-shirt fine we actually kind of like that you know our pastor might be wearing you know, uh, a t-shirt uh, during the sermon, who knows? And so, uh, it's just kind of a come as you are mentality and we accept you as you are and uh, we reach people. That's what we do. In fact, that's how our churches are started. We, we go out and reach people that are unreached and that's our goal. That's our desire. That's what our churches are made up of. And then as people are taught to read their Bibles and they're encouraged to be in the scriptures and, and be in them from Genesis to Revelation, Oftentimes people say, you know what, there's more to it than what I'm hearing here uh, in Calvary Chapel. And so uh, I need to pursue something different. I need to perhaps go somewhere else. I maybe don't know where I need to go, but I think it's somewhere other than here because what you're saying to me doesn't seem to jive with what I'm reading uh, in my Bible. And so I think Calvary Chapel is making reformed people by saying, be in the scriptures. And my thought is is that if we are the ones that are loving people, if we are the ones that are reaching out to people, if we are the ones as reformed people that are sharing the gospel and seeing people converted and seeing people come to faith, then then they will be willing to come into our church and to hear some difficult teachings and some um, some hard you know teachings on some doctrines that are difficult, election, predestination, etc. But they'll be willing to listen. They'll be willing to hear these things uh, in their first teaching and their first relationship to any church, if they feel loved, if they feel like they can trust us. I think that it's a lot easier to bring people directly into the church if we are the people that have been reaching out to them, if we are the people that have been sharing with them, and then if their first contact with the church is uh, the Reformed Church, no big deal. In fact, we have a, a woman in our church that, as we were teaching on the doctrine of election early on, and we were asking her, hey, how does this sound to you? How does election predestination, how does this hit you? How does it strike to you? Do you have some kind of visceral reaction? And she said, that sounds right to me. It looks like it's right there in the Bible. So I'm fine with it. And I think she trusted us and she knew that we loved her. And uh, it wasn't that big of a deal. So I think our, I think we're really good at, in the OPC of informing those and teaching those that are already reached. And if we are willing to reach out to those that are unreached, I think bringing them directly into the church is something that we can do as well. When you talk about building relationships, obviously um, that is one of the factors. If we're going to be the people that bring outsiders into the church, then we're going to have to be building relationships. We're going to have to be welcoming people. Mm -hmm. uh, are there things that you put into place at Anaheim Hills 
that are specific to that? Are there ways that you help the congregation think about these things? Are there rituals or practices that, that you do that, that sort of create this type of culture or help people be more ready to welcome people in, to welcome outsiders in? Yeah, I think we're constantly trying to help our people not only to be welcoming, not just saying, you know, be kind, be friendly, be outgoing, but to try to put themselves in the shoes of other people and to, and and we're doing this more and more, try to think about uh, what it would be like to be that other person that's coming into this community center. Uh, Not really a church building, we meet in a community center and it's reformed and they're doing things these different ways and uh, you feel like you know your kids are loud or your kids are uh, causing distractions or whatever the case may be and 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 just helping our people not just to be sympathetic uh, but to but to be empathetic and enter into their situation and and really think about what they're feeling and feel what they're feeling with them and so we're constantly thinking about that because it's not natural for us I don't think as 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 people that have been affected by sin still as Christians, I think being focused on ourselves and thinking about things from our own perspective is something we naturally do. And we have to be doing things that are not natural and go against those natural inclinations. Can you give us any concrete examples that you could think of? I don't know if you could think any off off the top of your head of of things that you do either in your communication or interaction that help sort of uh, help people think through those things and, and feel what the outsider's feeling or to encourage people in uh, meeting people and how to meet people and, and how to be hospitable and gracious to them? Yeah, in our in our classes, in our Sunday school classes, we spend a lot of time thinking about these sorts of things. Uh, we, we also, in, in sermons that I preach, I try to uh, touch on these things from time to time. Bible studies that I lead, also sending out emails and communications. Hey, did you meet the people that came? Uh, did you say hi to them? Great if you did. If you didn't, maybe reach out to them next week if you see them again. Uh, and and things along those lines, encouraging people and, and saying thanks to people who've brought people with them and have been thinking about reaching out to people and inviting them to church and, and uh, giving them a thumbs up when they do that. And, and so we're just kind of trying to build that into our culture on a regular basis. So we're all thinking about that together. And another way that we do that is, is being involved in a couple different church plants where we're constantly saying uh, with the church plant in Corona and the church plant in Pasadena that this is what we're doing as a church. You're allowing me as your pastor to go out and we are praying uh, for these things together when they were in Bible study stages and now that they're having uh, morning worship services and have pastors installed in those different places. We're involved in those things, and our little church plant is thinking about doing another church plant, praying about what the next one will be uh, down the road. So we're constantly thinking about how we can be outwardly focused, outgrowing, as as one pastor and author said, the ingrown church and our natural proclivities and tendencies, and being outwardly focused in every way, uh, shape, and form. So when you uh, live your life uh, thinking about, you've, you've mentioned that you have your kids praying for the people that are around and you live life in sports and your your congregation's doing the same thing what have you found are, are there some stories that you can share with people I, I could imagine a pastor listening to this and has the exact same desire maybe he doesn't have a personality that he's just jumping at, at opportunities to get out there maybe he's overwhelmed maybe he's burnt out how do you think we can encourage pastors to not only think about these things but to 
be more active in them without without feeling like it's yet another thing yeah. you know that uh, another great thing mm-hmm. that's added to the list of, of you know sort of pastoral burden if you if you were sitting with one of those guys or if one of those guys is listening now saying I hear you brother but you know, I've got a hundred and one things. I've got marriages falling apart. Mm-hmm. I've got people walking away from the faith. Mm-hmm. How do I go about uh, this great work of evangelism that I want to be part of? Yeah, that's a great question. I think that, uh, first of all, I, th- I think every pastor has those issues, those heartbreaking issues when marriages are falling apart, people are walking away from the faith. I mean, those are things that are always going to be there and we should always give uh, our attention to and a lot of attention to that, that's huge we never want to look away from the needs that are already I, th- I think there can be a tendency at times in the church to s- overlook the people that are already sitting in the chairs and just to look you know to go too far the other direction and just to look outside and not to focus enough and not to love enough and not to shepherd enough the people that are already in our churches and that's that's also a negative thing we don't want to do that at all but the way I think about it is that uh, I'm not adding anything else to my plate. I don't add a, 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 I don't take a day or a day and a half or a certain number of hours where I just, just say, I'm going to go do evangelism on, on, on top of what I'm already doing. I just, I just think about reaching people and doing evangelism and, and building relationships and, and friendships as I go about my life. It's just, it's just how I live. It's not, I don't build that into the schedule. It's, it's just part of life. And so when we go to the grocery store, uh, we, we talk to people and we talk to people about their lives and we get to know their names and, and then we pray for them together. And, and we go to soccer practice or baseball practice and we, we build relationships and, and then hard things happen and we get to speak into their lives. And so I don't add any more time. In fact, I, I think some people think that I'm working too much or spending too many, too many hours doing these different things. I'm not. I uh, I think my schedule's just right, and uh, and and I'm doing all the things that I need to do with my family and uh, and being involved in different activities because it's just it's just a lifestyle, and it's built into the structure of of what I what I'm already doing. So I, I still get to do the sermon prep. I still get to do the counseling and the uh, meeting with people. I, I still get to do all the stuff that I should be doing, and and then I do this as I live my life. And I think that's the way I think about it. Maybe that's different from the way other guys think about it but for me it works and and it keeps me from being overwhelmed it keeps me from going too many different directions or or spending too much time uh when i should be spending more time with family and and doing other things resting even that's great and and when you do that when you live that life let me ask you a question about um have you seen for lack of a better term success in terms of people visiting the church and if you don't see people visiting the church you're putting yourself out there you're talking to people, you're getting known, maybe they're really hesitant. How do you deal with any potential frustration with um, not seeing people come to the church? Or maybe they come once and it's just a different world mm-hmm. and the, the, the Reformed Church is just not what they're looking for. And, yeah. you know, you still see them at the stores, you'll see them out at the practice, but but they're they're not a part of things. How do you address that or deal with that in your own heart and mind? Yeah, I think, I, think, uh, I don't think the Lord holds us responsible to be quote-unquote uh, successful in getting people to stick and to, and to stay and to join. Uh, and so really, ultimately, I'm not, that's not my, my chief focus. I'm, I'm going to continue to talk to people whether they come or not. I'm going to continue to try to, to speak into their lives with truth, with things that, that resonate within 
every image bearer. And if they visit and they don't come for a while, man, there, there's a lot of time. And uh, in fact, I'm thinking about a guy right now that, that I reached out to and he, he was committed and was beginning membership classes and was coming out of a horrible background. And, and then he kind of fell away. And, but I still reach out to him. I still try to touch base with him on a regular basis and he comes occasionally. But I'm not going to be frustrated. I'm not going to cut him off. Uh, God's in charge. God's, God knows what he's doing. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to continue to be that lifeline for him, uh, whether or not he ever comes again. I'm going to continue to try to speak words of life to him. He's had a lot of different barriers. And I, I think Tim Keller calls them defeaters. And, and we've worked through some of those things over time. And he's, he's told me at, at different times, hey, the, this issue that was an issue, it's not an issue anymore. And so we just continue, continue to trust the Lord and continue to, to believe that God's at work and, and doing what he wants to do. And if, if people never come or people come once and never come again or people come a few times and stop coming, whatever the case may be, I'm going to still continue to live that, that lifestyle. And, and uh, I think of a fishing analogy, you get as many lines in the water as you can have. And as you do that, and as you continue to seek to reach as many people as you can, you're going to see more and more people coming in over time. And so that's, that's the way uh, that I think about it as well. So when we're trying to build relationships with unbelievers and outsiders, um, we're all prone, we're all kind of wired to, to want to talk about the things that we're interested in. We, we all know that when we meet outsiders, it's a different world. Uh, some of us have been in the reformed world for 10, 15, 20 years. Uh, we may have really busy weeks. We're not spending a lot of time with unbelievers and outsiders, at least in terms of in-depth conversation. How do you think about engaging with them and taking an interest in things that they're interested in? Maybe, maybe that you're interested in, but maybe that you're not. Do you, do you use cultural connections? Do you just talk to them about life? How, how do you go about that? And, and how do you cultivate an interest uh, in them, especially if they're interested in things that maybe you don't know much about or aren't that interested in? That's a good question. I, I think uh, I don't really have a strategy as to how to do that. I think maybe I'm looking for opportunities to connect to biblical storyline, biblical biblical themes. But I mean, I, I'm more than willing to just have regular conversations for a good while to listen to them. You know, swift to hear and and uh, slow to speak, which that can be challenging when we we want to kind of. I think a tendency we can have is to want to shove our presentation down their throat and 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 say, you know, take it or leave it. And uh, for me, that's not, I don't want to do that. I want to, I want to listen to people. I want to get to know people. I want to hear people. It's an old adage. And people don't really care what you know until they know that you care. So let's shift gears back to your church just a little bit uh, in Anaheim Hills. What's on the agenda coming up that's exciting for the church? How do you think about uh, the next year, couple years in terms of going forward with, uh, you've mentioned being a, a church planting church. How do you think about that? How do you cultivate that? And uh, is there is there one thing that maybe people who are listening could pray for as they think about Anaheim Hills over the next, say, six to 12 months? Well, we're looking to particularize here. We're, we're training seven men right now to become office holders. And, and I'm not sure if they're going to be elders or deacons yet, but we have seven guys that are meeting weekly. Things, things look great. There's a great excitement and... Uh, People are excited about, uh, hopefully in not too distant future, getting our own facility and just continuing to grow uh, 
together, grow numerically, grow spiritually, and there's just a great excitement uh, at the church in this season. I, I promised the congregation that I would be with them and uh, not be doing any other church planning and, and Bible studies and, and outreach to other communities like we did in Corona after uh, our Sunday night studies. I would I would run off to Corona each week or Pasadena each week as we were getting those uh, church plants up and going. And now I'm I'm totally focused on what's going on in Anaheim Hills and, and moving forward and, and growing the church there. So prayers for uh, all the all the things that go into particularization, prayers for our own facility. It's very difficult and very expensive uh, to find a facility in Anaheim Hills, in the Anaheim Hills area, or, or even Yorba Linda. And so finding a facility that would help us to expand and grow on into the future is, is really important. And we, we are. We're prayerfully thinking about our, our next location for our next church plant. Uh, where are we going to send? Uh, where are we going to plant? Uh, in the future, in, in not 2018, as we particularize in 2018, uh, beyond 2019, 2020. What's the next location? Is it is it Riverside County? Is it somewhere else in Orange County? Uh, what's going to work for us as we continue to think about planting still more churches uh, in our in our area? So you've talked quite a bit about sort of being a church planting church why not just be content with Anaheim Hills and, and growing the church there? Why the emphasis on more church plants and, and thinking about those things unless they become obvious? Why so intentional about it? Yeah, the way we think about planting other churches relates to the way we think about evangelism and outreach for our congregations and for our people. And so we want our people to be able to say in our churches, uh, we go to a great church, we'd love to have you come check it out, and it's right over there. You can see it from here. Or it's right down the road. You could walk there if you need to. Rather than, we go to a great church, we love it, but ah, it's an hour away, and you'd never want to do that every week. We do it because we've been doing it for years, but you would never want to do that. We believe that the, the local church should be local. We believe that as we have our members that are excited about being a part of a church in Anaheim Hills or in Corona, or in Pasadena, that they could talk to their friends, neighbors, co-workers, relatives, etc., and say, this is a great church, why don't you come with me? Why don't you meet me there, and it's right down the road. And that's a lot easier way to get people to come out to church than to say, it's an hour away, uh, and, it's, and it's a commuter church. And so I think strongly about that idea that a local church needs to be in the community, and it's more effective at uh, ministering to its members and reaching the lost than a commuter church that's an hour away. So that's the way we think about things. Yeah, that's helpful, the local church being local. But then if I could just follow up one thing, that, that affects a lot of decisions that you make for church planting both in Anaheim Hills or Corona or even Los Angeles. I mean, it affects where the Hartshorns live. It mm -hmm. affects uh, all kinds of decisions about resources mm -hmm. and where you spend your day and mm -hmm. the types of things you do, I, I'm assuming. Is that accurate? Yeah, absolutely. I think that uh, it's really important that our church planters live where they're ministering. I think it's really important that our church planters don't live and drive in from a great distance in order to do ministry on Sundays. They need to be able to be in the community at soccer practice, at the grocery store, talking to people that are in their community and then pointing them right down the road and saying, hey, this is where we worship. You know the community center right over there? That's where we worship. And people say, oh yeah, I know where that is. I know where that street is. I know where that building is. Oh, I didn't know that there was a church in there. Okay, great. 
Uh, and so that's, that's really important. And so it's really important for our people to be uh, in the community. And then maybe the last question about uh, church planting. Your presbytery is thinking about Los Angeles, uh, the metro area in particular in the city. Um, do you have any thoughts on uh, how you're approaching that and what you're looking at and just how you think about being a presbytery who has some solid, vibrant churches in Orange County uh, but is now thinking, okay, we've got this massive city in our presbytery and how do we... How do we go about reaching that? What kind of thoughts do you have and, and how are you approaching that? Yeah, I think our presbytery is is really thinking positively about church planting. I think we're excited about church planting. We're excited about giving money to church planting. And I think as we think about Los Angeles, we're going to have to do some things differently and, and think a little bit outside the box as we move into LA. I think we are really good at, at church planning in the suburbs and uh, doing things the way we've been doing things, but we're going to have to think a, a little more creatively to reach various places uh, inside uh, the city proper. But I'm, I'm, I'm excited and I'm enthusiastic that we're going to do the things that are necessary to reach Los Angeles. I think that that is uh, uh, the next frontier for us as a, as a presbytery, and it's on the radar of many of our churches and many of our uh, ministers and our, our men that are around uh, the Southern California Presbytery. That's great, Chris. Thanks for taking the time. Maybe we'll uh, be able to check back in down the road, not only with Anaheim Hills, but maybe with what the Presbytery is doing with Los Angeles. Uh, but thanks for sharing your thoughts today uh, and the Lord's blessings on your continued work and your ministry, both at Anaheim Hills with the people there and uh, as you serve on the Home Missions Committee and uh, of your Presbytery and of the denomination glad to hear the work that's going on. Thanks for your time. Yeah, thanks, Brad. Appreciate it. Brad, jumping back in for a wrap-up. A lot of useful and helpful thoughts from Chris, and as I was listening to him, I was thinking about a couple takeaways that might lead us to some action coming out of this podcast. And I think takeaway number one is when Chris talked about how they encourage their people to, as he put it, not only be sympathetic, but empathetic to outsiders, to put themselves in the shoes of outsiders coming into their church what would the outsider think and even feel coming into that? I think that's challenging for us and might even take us a little bit of effort to think about what that would look like in, in each of our contexts. Takeaway number two is when I asked Chris about being a busy pastor and trying to fit evangelism into that schedule. And I thought it was interesting that he pointed out that he doesn't see evangelism as something he puts on the schedule. He doesn't see it as another item on his plate, but rather he seeks to just live a life in his everyday context where he's building relationships and looking for opportunities and taking opportunities to evangelize. And I think that might be helpful, especially for a lot of pastors who are thinking about trying to schedule a half a day to go out and evangelize and think about shifting that priority and what that would look like in each person's life to live more evangelistically. And the third takeaway is when Chris talked about the emphasis of the local church being local, that they want to be a church that's in the community that they can invite people to and direct them to and say, we're at the community center right down the road and everybody knows where it is. And I think that has a lot of impact on decisions churches make, where pastors live and how they do things and where they put their time and money and resources. And so that's another thing that we can think about. That's it for today's episode. You can go to the website at outwardopc.com to check out more resources. And you can sign up for our email list where you'll receive notifications when new things are available. 
Until then, we'll see you next episode.